August 23, <laughs> 2021, it's a lot from Pedro. Well, I don't know. Well, it, like it was an attempt. It was an attempt to, to create something, I think, with uh, more of a label, you see, than uh, through true evolution. You mean it didn't evolve naturally out of the desires I, I of the musicians? I don't, I don't think so. Well, it maybe it did. I, I don't. I can't say that. It was an attempt to do something, which is uh, that the evolution is about trying too, you know. But there's something uh, in evolution that man, it, it just happens when it's ready. Uh, you know, although you have to try also. And this just seemed uh, it wasn't really where it was coming from. You know, it was. Uh, it was a, what was it, an attempt to blend, to wed uh, the two musics, right? Mm -hmm, Is this mm -hmm, what it mm -hmm. really was? I, well, I suppose that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah. You said that, uh, talking about um, saxophone players, that there was a common pool that everybody um, dipped into. Maybe here there wasn't enough of that pool, I mean, or uh, for people to dip into. Well, I, mean, I, I just think it, it wasn't time. It, it, hadn't, uh, it was an attempt to do something at a time when it just wasn't time for this to happen. And uh, therefore, it, uh, it it wasn't lasting. But uh, there, may, there may have been some things that came out of this that, that have been beneficial in promoting the, the final change, which is coming. See? So nothing is really wasted, although it might, you know, it might appear to fail or not succeeded, you know, the way that the men felt they would have decided to. But even the mistakes can be instructive if you know how to utilize them. <laughs> Do you make any attempt, or do you feel you should make any attempt to educate your audience in ways that are, aren't musical? But it's obvious you want your audience to understand what you're doing musically, mm -hmm. but uh, do you feel that um, you want them to understand other things, too, and that you have some kind of responsibility to Sure, I, I try to feel this, and uh, this is one of the things I'm concerned about now. I just don't know how to go about this. I, 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 I don't want to do... I want to find out just how I should do it, you know, and uh, I think that it's going to have to be uh, very subtle. I mean, it has to, you can't you can't ram philosophies down anybody's throat, and uh, the music is enough, <laughs> you know, and that's philosophy. But uh, I think the best thing I can do at this time is just try to uh, get myself in shape, you know, and. Uh, know myself. If I can do that, then uh, I'll just play, you see, <laughs> and leave it at that. Then I, I, I believe that will do it, you know, if I really can get to myself and then and, and really and then be just as I feel and I should be and play it, you see, and I think they'll get it. Because music goes a long way, and it really is, uh, it, it, it can influence.
Watch for Pedro Show. Happy Monday. Start out John Coltrane talking to Frank Kosky in 1966, an excerpt. Uh, then we had Down Lucene, Casey Anderson. And uh, due to those uh, Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention, I got Brother Casey Anderson with me. Welcome aboard, Casey. Thank you, Walt. Thanks for having me, man. This is so cool to be a part of this. I love the show. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Big honor, bright man. Look. Please bring your earliest musical recollection. My earliest musical recollection. Well, my uh, my grandparents on my mother's side died in a flood when she was 22. My grandfather was a saxophone player. He had a wow. he had a band called the Many Sounds of Nine. So my earliest musical recollection is being introduced to my grandfather by my mom playing one of his records for me and saying this was your grandfather, and then going through uh, old photos of his band and and getting to know him that way. I never got to meet him, you know, because I had not been born yet when when they passed. But uh, I met him that way, and and I think that you know I was one of those kids who when I said I wanted a guitar, my parents jumped at the chance to get it for me, and I think it probably had something to do with that. Him being on sax or just having a band just just her no you know her having a dad who was in a band and, and who did the gig for a living um you know i didn't i wasn't one of those kids who who when i said you know i want to play guitar my folks weren't like oh no 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 you gotta you know whatever whatever you gotta stay in stay in school stay dedicated to get a real job or what you know when i said i, I want to play guitar and then when i said i want to do this as a job they were real supportive ah because she knew her pop and her grandfather yeah i understand she, she could relate yep totally okay so uh this pad you grew up in, did it have musical instruments? Uh, yeah, we had a piano and keyboard. My mom my mom played piano and sang a little bit. And then I, uh, when I was, I guess I was 11. Yeah, I turned 11 in 1990. And uh, I grew up in, in Portland. And so, you know, around that time, it was like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Mud Honey, Soundgarden, those bands. And so then I, I said I wanted a guitar. And I got a little, uh, like a knockoff Stratocaster and a little PV practice amp and started on that. Um, and then the older I got, the more guitars we had around the house. You mean you, you didn't jump on that piano? I didn't jump on the piano. I, I learned the piano like way later. Okay. Because um, you way, know way there's, a, there's a lot of hell stories about the piano lesson. Right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Nope. I had, uh, no, I avoided the childhood piano lesson hell stories. <laughs> I, I had I had cool guitar teachers. It, it seems it depends on the teacher. So, yeah, you okay. So you get a you get it and you ask for a guitar. You didn't just yep. get a guitar. And, yep. you, and so you took lessons. Okay. Uh, what was that like? Because there's, there's actually some guitar hell stories too, but not, not as many as piano ones. <laughs> <laughs> not as many. No, I didn't have – I like my lessons at first were just I would go in and I would say like I want to learn to play this riff, you know, and I would bring like – I would bring like the Nirvana cassette or CD with me and my guitar teacher would listen and then he would show me how to play the riff. Uh, and that went on for a long time and then I – it's not a hell story, but my guitar teacher at one point was like, man, don't you want to know how to do something other than just like play <laughs> other people's shit? Um, <laughs> and he was like, if you want to know how to like make up a song on your own, then we're going to have to learn a little bit more than ah, like yeah, than that. And, and so then but then it got interesting, you know, then I started to learn some more stuff. Yeah. Can I ask you about school? Were you in the choir, the marching band or shit like that? No, I uh, I I was not. I was I did. Uh, uh, I was a drama kid for a little bit of high school. I did some. I was in some plays, and then uh, my freshman year in high school, I played basketball. But um, I I got kicked off the basketball team for oh, for some drug for some drug related incidents early on in high school. <laughs> uh, what about the first record you bought with your own money? 
First record I bought with my own money was uh, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. Yeah, good record. And first gig you saw? First gig I saw was uh, Stone Temple Pilots were the headliner, but they had the Meat Puppets and Red Cross with them. And was here in Portland at the Civic Auditorium, and my dad went with me, and uh, he really dug the Meat Puppets and Stone Temple Pilots, but he wasn't into he, Red Cross was like a little bit heavy for his tastes. <laughs> Me puppets old friends of mine. I know the McDonald brothers too. Yeah. Hawthorne, uh, from the Beach Boy town. That's not by the beach. Well, it's yeah. about 10 miles. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so uh, did, not after school I graduated, but after school in the afternoon, did you get into the basement band, uh, bedroom band, garage band? Yeah, garage band for sure. I mean, we I grew up in, uh, in Vancouver, Washington, which is just north of, of a few miles north of Portland, Oregon. And, uh, we were, you know, we were just like bored suburban kids who all of us had guitars or drums or bass, and we got together in yeah, my friend bass. Mark's garage. And uh, now, now, what was it? Was it like copy, like with the guitar teacher copying songs off records, or were you writing your own shit? Uh, it started off the same, copying songs off records, like everybody, you know, yeah. we played the "Come As You Are" intro or, or whatever. But then we started to kind of, you know, once once all of us probably, I would say probably around thirteen or fourteen, once all of us had a knew our way around the instruments a little bit, we started to kind of write our own stuff. And uh, did this band have a name? Did you do gigs, or was it just we did? Band? We didn't do gigs, but uh, uh, what was the name? It was like Jim Jones and the Kool Aid Kids was one of the names, uh, and there was another one that I can't remember. But the, they didn't stick for very long. I feel like that's a thing with high school bands. Everybody's they're changing the name like once a week. <laughs> okay, but no no gigs. So, so when is your first gig? My first gig, I think I was nineteen. Uh, and I play it at a bar here in Portland um, that doesn't exist anymore called the Snake Something Tavern. It was just a small little bar. And because I was 19, I could only like I had to wait outside, load in, do the gig and then bail right after. Like I couldn't stick around, you know, because I wasn't of age. Um, and it was mostly just like a, my folks came and their and their friends came because um, none of my my buddies could get into the bar. <laughs> yeah, the circumstance of the sitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was they didn't throw shit. It was success. It was a success. I mean, it was like all the you know it was like all the grownups from my neighborhood and and some of their friends. So they were all really polite. And not um, a band. This was a. a man alone gig yeah it was a solo gig like i had written uh i had written a handful of songs that i thought were kind of cool on acoustic guitar and did a solo gig i didn't do it like i didn't play in a band that had gigs until i was in my 20s and had moved to bellingham uh and then i i, I was in this band called sweethearts of the rodeo and we did an every wednesday at a bar called the grand avenue alehouse where we just did uh like country covers you know know, like bird chris chris hillman stuff grand parsons shit uh stuff like that college town i've I've, I've played there a couple yep yeah yep a little bit north uh what can you remember the first song you wrote uh i can remember that the title of it was highway 14 but i don't remember like how the song went uh and i remember that it was like and this is unfortunately something that plagues me to this day. It was like nine and a half minutes long and it was, it was a bunch, a bunch of words. And I still like every record there's, you know, there's like a seven and a half minute song at the end of the record. That's a hundred, you know, 
the bag. Two hundred words too. The, the the wind that needs to be bagged. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you, you just you know that's the prescription. <laughs> that calls for it. <laughs> I want to. You you sent me this bad actor speaking of drama and shit. Let's play.
Spent my whole time listening to older guys To figure which way to go Whether to hang your guitar high over The way you drag your smoke Cause they look justified when drinking as if they show that chunk of music start off with Casey Anderson, Bad Actor. Then we got Cedric Noel, brand new, Nighttime, parentheses, Skin. Only he knows. <laughs> so come, <laughs> gotta have him on the show, right? Uh, Ither, I think that's how you pronounce it. City in the in White from uh, King Champion Sounds out of Netherlands. King Woman. 
king of swords. Not a king, huh? <laughs> Have yourself a rich guy vacation from Sam Locke Ward, featuring Bryn Love. Uh, that's out of Iowa City, I know that. And uh, next door, Dubuque, with Bob Bucko Jr. and making kings of gestures. Yeah, a lot of kings. Stuck in Playland, Bomb is Prendon, GC area. And then finally, Casey Anderson, older guys. I can relate. <laughs> or le- less younger guys. Okay. <laughs> so, so you're saying no, no bands till you're 20. So you're man alone at your uh, all your gigs. If you say the first one's at 19, that was years, yep. right? Yeah, that was. I did, that's like the reverse progression of a lot of people. I think. I think most people start off in bands and then you know, get enough of an ego to believe that they they can be a solo act. And I went the opposite. You know, I did the solo thing and then was like, well, I miss guitar solos. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I got real tired of playing harmonica. Okay. Okay. So you, you wanted a band. Yeah. I, I think maybe another reason is dudes can't afford to carry dudes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> might yeah. be that too. But there might be some ego involved, yeah, of course, always. Uh, just to get the balls to get in front of somebody and, and sing your song. That, yeah, man. Yeah, that's, I think, that's heavy. Man. I think about that a lot. Like, to to think that what you have is so important that a bunch of people should hear it. Right. You know, like every couple of years. Every couple of years, I'm like, I have 50 minutes worth of of shit that you all should hear. Yeah, <laughs> and I've yeah. done you the service of putting it to music, so it's at least a little more palatable. So if you think about it, you almost can talk yourself out of it. So you just yeah. got to keep on keeping on. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. so, but let's go back in the timeline and stuff. Okay, so you do that bar gig. Your buddies can't get in because, yeah, you're too young. Uh, do, you, do you get a four-track or uh, recording at home? Yep, I had a little task cam. Um, and like a sure, you know, a, a sure mic and, uh, recorded at home and, and got familiar with it. And then, um, I got really lucky. I have, I don't think I've ever really talked about this. I got really lucky when I was 20. I, uh, you used to be able to like Steve Earl had this imprint, this, this E squared records imprint on, uh, I think it was a reprise imprint and on the e squared website you could send steve a message and i just sent him a message that said you know like i'm 20 years old i love your songs you know i've had a rough time with drugs and i'm i'm trying to get through it uh and we became kind of pen pals and then we became pals for real and uh so after recording at home i made my my first record with eric amble um who i had met through steve because he was in steve's band at the time you know that was when the transcendental blues record came out um and so my first real experience in the studio was with Eric Amble and, and uh, the band that I had played in in Bellingham. Wow. Steve just lost his boy, huh? Yeah, a year ago. A year ago uh, on the 20th. Christ. Really? Yeah. Really, that was a heartbreak, man. Heartbreak. It, you know, it's a tough it war. It's a tough tough war with that stuff. And, and he was a talented musician. He was great. He was a great songwriter, a really great finger-picking guitar player. And he, uh, man, we, uh, you know, I had known Justin since he was a kid because I met Steve when I was so young. And um, 
I think two days, it was just two days before Justin died, Ron Heathman died too. And I had known Ron since I was a kid, just from being in the Pacific Northwest and, yeah. and seeing the Super Suckers a bunch of times. And it was like, that was a, that was a real blow, man, to lose those yeah. two right back to back like that from the same sort of thing. Whatever, we only got so much time, and, and we, we, we trick ourselves, and you always got time. You always, yeah. Jesus. Yep. Jesus. So, this, uh, Mr. Earl was really uh, important. That's so bitter he, to him to be so generous. Yeah, man, he was really, really generous, and he, uh, you know, he, he, he was generous with his advice, with his time. When, when the band would come through, I would hang with Steve for a couple of days at a time when they were in Seattle and Portland. Um, he, he was just always so good to me. Uh, and, and I learned a lot, you know, just from being around him and then from asking him questions about songs. And, um, you know, I, he, he didn't ever sit down and say, this is how you write a song. But he, I would send him shit and he would say, you know, this works or this doesn't work. And, and um I don't. I don't think I would have stuck with it, or I don't think I would have gotten to be good at it if I if I didn't have his generosity. Yeah, you know when it came to picking guys for a band, how'd you do it, Casey? Uh, I kind of just fell in with those. Uh, that first band that I was in in Bellingham, like I, um, I used to go to that country night. They were a band before I before I met them, and I would go to that country night, and then. Uh, I would hang with them after hours and I said, you know, I can sing a, a bit. I, I, I have some songs of my own and we got to know each other. And so I just kind of fell in with them. And then after that, I got really lucky. The next band that I was in was the band that's on this, the let the bloody moon rise record. And it was all these guys from Seattle who I had admired growing up. And I just happened to like, I had, had made friends with them over the years at shows or I had friends who were their friends. Um, so then it was like Andrew McCaig, Mike Musburger, Eric Corson, this guy Ty Bailey on keys. It was all these people that I really looked up to, and and it was like I was floored, man. I couldn't believe that I got to be in a band with these people. Yeah, so it wasn't like some like tryout shit. Uh, really, no, what, what, no, I no, I have never done. That? Yeah. yeah, I've never done the tryout thing. I've never done the like audition, yeah, bass player or drummer thing. That's so scary. <laughs> like holding, you know, dudes. In your hand, right? You're the decider. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, so man. It's just like cats. Like, hey, I'd like to play with him. I'd like to play. And then they're playing with you. Yeah. It was. It started <laughs> with, uh, it was real cool. It start, I mean, it started with McCaig. I, I said, you know, I want to, I, I had this band in Bellingham. I don't live, I'd moved back to Portland by then. I said, I want to make a record and I want it to be um, a little bit heavier, a little more guitar stuff. And, and I, you know, McCaig is a really great, great, great player, cool guy, easy hang. Um, and then I said, I don't have, you know, I don't know who else to ask. And he said, well, let me ask Musburger and let me ask Corson and let me ask Ty Bailey. And I played him some songs and they were all into it and it was that easy. Yeah, about people. Yep. People ask me about the old days. They say it was about people. I think the new days is about people too. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like eighty percent of the thing is the hang. Yeah, like you're gonna absolutely. have to be in a van with these people for a big chunk of your life. And yeah. if the if the hang is tough, then it's not. It doesn't matter how good they are. What, well, what about selling them the songs? Well, that I mean, I I always go into the situation believing that people are going to be honest about whether or not they like the work. 
Uh, and I assumed that they did or they wouldn't have played on the songs. Um, but I, I just said, you know, I always just said, like, here's the song. Um, I didn't, you know, like I didn't dictate parts to anybody. I just said, here's here's what I wrote. Here's the thing that I wrote. Let's work on it together. Because I feel like once you're in a band, yeah. even though it's my, it's still my name on the record, you know, it's Casey Anderson and the... So you know who to blame. Uh, That's the way I put it. Yeah, <laughs> <that's right. laughs> when I use my name... Yeah, so you know who to blame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but 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 you're saying your tunes are kind of launch pads, uh, springboards. Yeah, I mean, I just bring them to the, you know, before the record, I, I write, I sit down, I take some time, I sit down and write, you know, a dozen or so songs and then bring them to the band and say like, hey, this is, you know, these are the bones, let's put some meat on it. Um yeah. I don't have, you know, I have some ideas of how things can sound, but uh, everybody that I've, that I've played with and worked with, I trust them. If I didn't trust them, I wouldn't play with them. So, it, you know, I, I'm not in the studio, like barking orders at people. If somebody plays something, then I'll <laughs> say like, that's cool. Or, you know, let's try it this way. You've heard the Buddy Rich tapes, right? Oh, I've heard the Buddy Rich. <laughs> <laughs> One more clam and you're through. <laughs> All LA band tonight. <laughs> Count on it. <laughs> Try me, right? Because he knew a little karate, so he's like always try me, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that well, that that uh, it was a bone player. It actually, was the music director of the band who recorded all that shit. And he's an Australian guy. I was reading this thing in Mojo. He said that's the only thing I'm known for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Is> that tape. <laughs> you know? Keep your eyes and your mouth to yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's other people too. Uh, maybe. Uh, Neil Sadaka, right? The band gets shirts. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I slice like a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. You're the boss. You could tell people what to do, but you're not going to get the best playing out of them doing shit like that, right? Obviously, you're not, they're frustrated and, cats. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I always believe that, that you bring these people in because they bring something, Absolutely. right? Something that you wouldn't otherwise. Absolutely. I mean, if I could do all the, if I could play all the parts of a record, I'd do it. It would cost me less money, um, but I can't. And so, if like if I if I can't play the drums, I'm not going to tell a drummer how to play drums. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like you said, you write the songs with them in mind. Yeah, yeah, that's bitching. Look, we're at the end of the first hour, August 23, 2021. This is Watt Peters, our special guest, Casey Anderson. Hold tight for hour two. August Enough to always have 
to know we only get so long. The only ghost you're gonna leave is in your songs. In the end, my friend, the gift that you forsake may just break you, and that's all I've got to say. I can't fight the feeling that you're losing everything that the world
Watt for Pedro Show. Start off the second hour with Already Gone, Casey Anderson. Then uh, we had Wedding from Sugo Tokumaru. Louis Fong with uh, Spring Rain. It's called a pipa, this kind of a Chinese loop. And Lucas Abella out of Sydney, Australia. Itchy. And then Casey Anderson, Ain't Life Grand. And you didn't put a question mark at the end of it. <laughs> so you know it's grand. <laughs> I know it's grand. <laughs> yeah. What, 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 it's a declarative what, statement. Yeah, it's declarative, right. No interrogative. But, but, but like a tune like that, do you carry a, like a little book of words? Do you draw, like, do you have a reservoir stuff, or, or, or are you made to order when it comes to songwriting time? Uh, a little bit of both. Like, I'll have, um, I'll have an idea for, I, I work, like, I, when I know it's time to make a record, I go, okay, it's time to write a record. And I write what I think is the first song and what I think is the last song, and then I try to figure out how to get from the beginning to the end. All right, so you, you don't write songs. You write batches of songs. Yeah, I write batches of songs. But every once in a while, I'll have uh, I'll have a line or a couple of lines that I get, get get edited out of one song or, like, they don't fit the thing. And so I set them aside in a little notebook. And then when it's time to write the next thing, I come back to them. And Ain't Life Grand was one of those. Uh, I think I had the line, like, your sister's here again, mad as a wet hen. Hide the hammers before you let her in. I had that little <laughs> chunk of lines, and I thought it was like, this is too good to just leave somewhere, you know, to just leave in a notebook. I got to figure out how to write around that. Oh, really? Okay. That's that's interesting. So, like, I can make a whole tune out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, like, if a thing is, if a line or a couplet is, is like, I think it's real good, but it just doesn't work in the thing that I'm working on, yeah. then. I'll, you know, I just put it aside and I think like I got to come back to that. You know, I could like if you're cooking and you're like, oh, well, you know, I have this these really ripe peaches. Well, the recipe doesn't call for that. Well, tomorrow I got to use the peaches before they go bad. Yeah, right. What what about uh, like these leashes of uh, voice memo? Do you do you, like singing? To, I've been doing this for uh, bass lines because my fucking memory. Or yeah. lack, lack of such. <laughs> so you, you you do this? You use a little, uh, what's it called, voice memo? I do, I do, but it's almost always, uh, I, do you do you play, when you when you do the bass lines, do you play the bass line or do you like hum it? Because it's my I, mouth, I, yeah, my mouth. Yep, me too, so all my voice memos are like riffs, but it's like my mouth, so it's like na 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 you know, and then I go like, I'll find one months later and I'm like, what the fuck was I doing, you know? Well, like, well, what about with your band? Do you give them sheet music? You probably teach them the parts that way, right? I teach them, yeah, I mean, I teach them the, the song, so we'll, we'll chart out the song. Um, but I don't do a lot of sheet music unless it's like a, you know, unless it's strings or horns, like with bass, guitar, drums, we just chart it out. Usually use the Nashville numbers thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's used it kind of shorthand. And, yep. uh, uh, yeah. Um, I want to play this. Uh, you gave me some depression. Mm.
picking out tunes, but were you outside throwing rocks at the moon? I was getting high in a locked bathroom, cause there ain't no pension in my profession, and all my life's been a natural regression, leaning close, I got a confession, I've been dealing with some depression.
sunshine bright, honey sweet. The earth has been good to me. The life growing under my feet has made it all. Sunshine bright, honey sweet. The earth has been good to me. The life growing under my feet has made us all. The life growing under my feet has made us all. The life growing under my feet has made us all.
Watch for Pedro Show. Some depression. Casey Anderson. Then Victor Timofeev after that. Out of Ukraine with uh, Nightfall. City 35. Emma Jean Thackeray. Out of England. She was on the show last week. Yella. Ray Shin. Southern Oregon. So, closer to you than me. (laughs) (laughs) Intermission. And then finally, Casey Anderson. The Teenage Gravity. No, like Teenage Gravity. Yeah, what's that about? Like Teenage Gravity. Oh, that's about those times where, uh, you know, you... You fall in love as more of an adult, but it feels like you were like you did when you were a kid, like you don't really think it through. Uh, you know, the, I, I feel like the older you get, I mean, maybe this is not everybody's experience, but I feel like the older you get, the more uh, the more you have to be logistical about love and relationships. And when you're a kid, you don't think that way. You know, you don't think about anything other than the moment. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> well, tell me about making this record. Where was it? Done. We did it at Avast in Seattle. Ah. Uh, we did it. We you tracked know, for. You know, they don't understand that word. That that word means halt, stop. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know. Go ahead. Uh, uh, we made it there. We track. I mean, I try and make records the same way every time. Track for about a week, and then and then do a week or so of mix, and then call it good. Um, we most of the record is live. You know, we we did. Um, and you don't write the studio, right? You got everything. It's almost like a gig in front of the mics. Yep, it's a gig in front of the mics. We we do vocals, guitar, bass, drums, keys live, and then if it if something needed a little something extra, then we brought somebody in to do it. And, and uh, producer. Producer was Kurt Block. Yeah. No, yep, and up? he's yeah. great, man. I mean, he's great about just like. He's great for a number of reasons, but he was really, really good with us at saying like, "That's it, you know. That's that's the that's the one. We're not going to do it better than that." So, kind of editor. Yeah. Yep. Right. I mean, producers. There's all kinds. Some guys want to help write your songs. Yeah, I've never worked with somebody like that. Like my, uh, you know, it's either been Kurt Block or Eric Amble on all my records, uh, and both of them just make sure that it sounds real good and that they get the best performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a joke, right? Uh, how many producers does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Right? <laughs> I mean, but in another way, producers are totally responsible for a sound of a record. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a good way. It, yeah, I mean, that's another one of those things like the band. Like, you, you work with those people. I mean, at at some level, I'm sure, if you know, there are levels of this business where you work, you're assigned people to work with and they shape the record a certain way. But at the level at which I do it, you know, I asked Kurt to produce the record, or I asked Roscoe to produce the record because I trust him, and I know they're going to make it sound good. Stooges' uh, first album, the label gave them John Cale as producer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he ended up playing it on it. You know, we will fall. Me and Larry are going to do a version of that. Oh, cool! Yeah, the story is trippy. I remember. Yeah, I was finally the youngest guy in the band, but 
they're telling me about it was the baseman Dave Alexander. They they had run out of hash, and hey, I know we can get high. There's this chant, and that's what that chant is. <laughs> they're doing it in the tune. <laughs> so, Mr. Block, he didn't have ideas like that for you, did he? He did not. He did not. He just, uh, I mean, like I said, he mostly, you know, said that sounds great or we got to do it again or that's enough or, you know, this we're going to use this mic on this thing or, right, or he, right. he just. Did you bring him in earlier? You know, the, some guys uh, even before the sto- studio, right? What's it called? Pre-production? Pre-production. Yeah. I mean, he put, I played the songs for him. He, he, he heard them at the same time the band did and heard us kind of work through them. Okay, okay. I guess that, yeah, it's, yeah, I want to get familiar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's kind of a trust and roll. You're going to let this guy come in. But, you know, same thing with picking a band. You're trusting these guys with your songs. Yeah, I'm trying to think of another, maybe you can. Like, what's another line of work, even another art where i mean i guess a film you know a person who writes a film hands it off to a director and a producer to get it made um but it's you know there aren't too many lines of work where you make something and then hand it to someone and say you know is this right (laughs) (laughs) you're right you're right about that it it is a, a trippy fucking a trippy you know, but if there's a tradition, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. you were talking about Mr. Earl, I mean, and he's, he's borrowing from traditions himself, you know, so in, in a way, I do see a chain, a link in the chain. The, the, the thing is, yeah, to make it your own. Yeah. And, and yep. you know, and there's a trippy thing about that, Casey, because we're born, I mean, everybody's got different thumbprints. Mm-hmm. But... At the same time, so much in common, right? So that's 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 the dangling duality I see. Whether bringing it to the producer or the band or listeners, gig goers, that, that's a trip. It is, and it's like this. It like you said, it's it's your thumbprint. It's your thing that is intrinsically your own. Yeah. You made it, but on the one hand, you're working from a tradition, right? Yeah. Like I don't, I wouldn't, you know, Bob Dylan, Woody Guthrie. Screaming Jay Hawkins, Lighten Hopkins, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, you know, I'm working from a tradition that, that those people built, but it's in my own voice. But then you take it to other people and say, translate this. Yeah. Yeah. Trip. It's a trip. Bass players, we got to get used to that. We look good making you guys look good. So <laughs> those politics. We're at the end of the second hour, August 23rd, 2021. Just what Peter special guest, Casey Anderson. Hold that for hour three. August 23rd, 2021. It's the third hour of the Waffle Pedro Show.
Mars had torn up paper And the sky was painted black I threw a penny in the fountain He said I'd never get it back We must have tossed a million wishes but I guess they all fell flat But we were younger then Just kids We went rushing down the hall And I stopped to knock on every door Staring at the skyline My shoulders pointed to the floor You took one last look at winter Said we won't come back no more But we did Of course we did Every muffled conversation 
And every broken street lamp, every midnight celebration. And the dogs off in the distance, and the static between stations. And that's where we'll always live. Cause I for Pedro Show, start a third hour with Casey Anderson, the lucky ones, then Babes New York City. What? Why would you call your band Babes New York City? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're pretty good, but man, what a bad name. <laughs> I can't get used to it. Laser Gun. Then E3 minus track II plus BX. <laughs> There's a title. Head Boggle. And Manuel Armida, Mexico City guy, but he lives up in uh, Yellowknife, Northwest Territory. Ma- Maquina Irreparable. Irreparable. Yeah, you can't fix it. Okay. And finally, Casey Anderson. Just kids. Just kids. Older guys. Teenage gravity. It's time. Yeah. Yeah. Songs songs are for like, uh, you know, measuring out time. Mm -hmm. Richard Hell had a song called Time. He said, only time can sing a song that's really real. Man, that's a good one. Yeah, he's great. He's great cat. Big inspiration to me. And I couldn't believe a bass player could lead the band, but he did. I found out later, Yes was led by their bass man. (laughs) I didn't know. yeah, what's a bass like to you? Oh man, it's uh, well, I think the first time that I really like noticed bass playing was on a Beastie Boys record. Adam Young. Uh, yeah, Yao's playing was I was like yeah, so exactly. fucking cool to me. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I, I mean, know he had he, a trippy, I mean, you know how it is. Like a, people he, talk. About, he had a trippy, no, go ahead. He had a trippy switch on his bass. It was a momentary spring-loaded switch. So he could like do like scratching. Oh, uh, whoa. Uh, 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 right? Yeah. Like you could do it with a, a two pickup guitar, right? You turn one pickup's mm-hmm. volume off, right? You can, uh, Pete Townsend, right? Anyhow, anywhere. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a pickup selector switch solo. <laughs> but he had one of those. And that's what he did in Sabotage. That bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and fucking Harvitz told me it was him that taught the other guys how to play. He's really? The, he's the first guy to learn, and then he taught them guys. Yeah, beautiful man, Adam Young. Beautiful man. Yeah, man. So so that was the first time, was Beastie. 
That was the first time was the beasties. And then um, the next thing that I really noticed was like my mom, you know, because her dad played jazz. We had a lot of Mingus records around the house. Um, And so I think that I grew up with a pretty healthy appreciation for bass players and and bass players who were. You read his book, Beneath the Underdog? I did read his book. His book is wild. Yeah, probably half of his bullshit, but he didn't write on the bass. He always wrote on the piano, right? His first song is uh, Mingus Fingers. He writes on the piano. What about, you always write on guitar, is that correct? I always write on guitar, yeah. Yeah. Just because it's, it's the thing I learned first, and it's the most familiar to me, and it's the one, I mean, piano, I can play, but I'm, you know, I'm, I think I'm a I would in what is called a lifetime learner on piano. Yeah. Uh, but guitar, like if I, I, you know, if I know, I know where the thing is if I need to find it. Piano, I have to work real hard to find out where the melody is or to find out, you know, exactly what chord it is I'm looking for. But guitar, it comes comes easier to me. Yeah, yeah. And and, and titles, after or before. Uh, titles after. I write the thing. Everybody's like that. I ask people. And nobody makes yeah. the titles first except me. <laughs> like, I fucking have to do it. But, like, that's why I ask everybody, because nobody does it that way. Jesus. Because I need, like, that's kind a of cool, a focus thing, you know? Yeah, that's a cool way to do it. It's like you, the title comes to your head, and then you just kind of write into into that. Everything, aid and abet. Now, 90% of the time, I write on the bass guitar, I, which is trippy. Actually, I think yeah. it, I think more and more it's going to be a composing tool because it, I, I think it opens uh, for your collaborators. You know, piano and guitar, they have so much of the harmonic stuff. You know? yep. So you're already... Uh, look, don't look back. You know about this uh, documentary, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was his name? Pennebaker? Pennebaker, yep. Yeah, uh, Mr. Dillon, right? Yep. Right, and uh, yeah... He fought terrible with the little fucking pointy shoes and the sunglasses <laughs> at nighttime. Let, let's play this.
Let the television burn, babe There's a riot in the street They say the wolf was at the front door He was lying at their feet We felt a change, a change But ain't it a shame how it all turned out It was a long time coming It's a little late now They're gonna stack up the dead Till they block out the sun These white boys with money Make the whole world run Let the wall hit your back The blood hit your tongue You and me, baby We're the dangerous ones You and me, baby We're the dangerous ones If there's a word for last winter It's something worse than discontent I'm 37 years old And staying out of trouble Ain't enough to make my rent So let it burn, let it burn Let the motherfucker burn It's election day They shut the water off last week I guess it's gonna burn Either way, they'll ship the bodies back down with the cocaine and guns. These white boys with money make the whole world run. Let the wall hit your back, the blood hit your tongue. You and me, brother, we're the dangerous ones. You and me, brother, we're the
last music for this episode. Casey Anderson, Don't Look Back. This is not the Bobby Dylan, Petter Baker documentary, people. This is Casey Anderson song. <laughs> you, can't, you can't copyright a title. Ain't that a trip? Maybe it's good. And Victoria Shen after that with the non-event at home. This is a big piece she did at her pad March 28, 2020, when the situation was just developing. Uh, and then Casey Anderson. This is Cellar Session. I found this. Uh, you play in uh, The Dangerous Ones. Mm. Yeah, the, right? The Cellar uh, yep. uh, City Winery. Yeah. Yeah, how'd that happen? They, uh, this guy, Ahud Layson, who works at, who works with City Winery and does those sessions, he, uh, he liked my records. And so I, I had a gig in New York. Um, I like pianos or, or something like that. And, uh, and he, he just emailed me and said, do you want to come and do one of these seller sessions? And I said, I would love to. And I had that, that dangerous one song was going on a record that I was making and I wanted to, to try it out. That was one that I wrote with a band specifically in mind, and I hadn't played it a lot solo, and I wanted to try and slow it down and play it quieter. You know, this situation, were you writing a buttload of songs or uh, trading files over the Internet? God, you couldn't tour. You couldn't do gigs, right? Yeah, yeah, couldn't do gigs. We um, we were I – had, I had like a chunk of the record done. I had the basics done. But it wasn't done, done. And so then we started, I mean, everybody, people who who didn't know how to use a home recording rig learned real quick. And then suddenly, <laughs> suddenly everybody that ain't had a bad a thing, Casey. That ain't bad. It's not. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. People had to keep working. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, also, it's, just think if only one dude knew how to write down, we had to go to the one guy to write down our stories. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> you would have a fucking writer cramp, right? So... Okay, so people record at home, and you yeah, I would just, yourself. I would, yep, um, I would send the, you know, I would do a little bit at home, and then I would, I would send the tunes around, whatever needed to be done. Like I said, we had, we had basics, so we had bass drums and and most of the guitars, but then uh, I wanted to change a couple things, so I would send it to a different guitar player and get something changed, or I would want strings on it, so I would send it to a string player. Uh, it's a weird. I've never made a record that way. I mean, I think a lot of people ended up making records that way who had never made records that way. Yeah. Well, I have, but I made more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, to me, I always knew the Internet could be for more than just spread bullshit. You could actually, like, yeah, collaborate with people. It was just a, yeah. it's a matter of time. And, you know, it'll really be bitching, Casey, when we can jam in real time without latency. That'll come. Yeah. Next five, ten years. It will. Yeah. And, of course, it's not like being in a room with your cats, but look at all the possibilities, you know. Yeah. Like, what, what, what are your future plans? Oh, uh, you know, I'm going to wait until uh, probably next year to tour. Uh, tour a little bit. I, this record is done, so I'll get it out sometime next year and then tour behind it. Yeah, but um, when you get done with the record, like you say, you yep. write songs in batches. So yep. it's weird. They get done, right? Then is it like... Man, time for another batch? Yeah, I, I give it, an, I give it, you know, I sit with it and do the, usually, um, well, before people were staying home, I would I would make the record, put out the record, tour behind it, come home and rest for the holidays, and then 
say, okay, it's time to write another batch. Right. Um, this year, that's going to be a little bit longer between batches, but you know, <laughs> I'll come behind this record and then I'll say, uh, you know, it's time to, to do another batch. Right, right, right. Now, there's always some shit that gets cut out, right? Does that make it to the next batch sometimes? Sometimes it does, yeah. Uh, sometimes it does, or sometimes, like, it just kind of lives, it just lives in a notebook, or it lives in, you know. Oh, like uh, that, it, that, it, that couplet you, you, you quoted. Yeah, like that couplet, or if we recorded a thing that in the end I feel like doesn't fit with the record, then... You know, it sits on a hard drive or it sits on tape somewhere, and yeah. and then when we make the next one, I go, oh, maybe the maybe that that piece fits this time. Yeah. So yeah, nothing's wasted. That's bitchy. Well, yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to hear the next one. It's gonna be trippy. Probably the situation will inform it some, right? Yeah, it will. I mean, it it will inform it at least like the way it sounds. Um, a lot of the songs were written before people were staying home. You know, before before people were getting sick. Um, but the way it sounds, it sounds different than records I've made just because of the way it got made, because yeah, we weren't yeah. all in the same studio yeah. at the same time. Right, right. God, I've made, I've made records with cats I've never met. <laughs> 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 that's trippy, but whatever, you know, right? Hey, whatever works. That's right, that's right. My pop would say that. Thank you so much, Casey. And thank you for being on the show. It's truly honor. When you get this next batch, come back. Oh, for sure, man. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me on. And, uh, you know, please take care of yourself and stay in touch. Holler anytime. People, it's been August 23rd, 2021. The Dishwap Peter, so keep your powder dry.